in my hometown, in my hometown of Woodlawn, Illinois, uh, there is a double set of railroad tracks that cut the town in half. Now, my hometown is a town of about 300, so it, uh, there's not much on either side of those tracks, but but it, it, it cuts the the town in half. In fact. I, I grew up uh, about 30 yards from those railroad tracks, literally in my front yard. And so my life is full of memories of, of those railroad tracks and trains constantly and continually coming through town and doing different things through town. And, and one of the things I remember was that the, the tracks, as the trains would come in town, oftentimes they would, they would stop in town and wait for a train coming the other direction to to pass by, because on either end of town, there was only one set of tracks, and, and a train would come and meet, and then they would pass in, in town. And, and also, just about half a block from my my house was a side rail. A side rail was a place where occasionally they would drop off a couple boxcars. I never really knew why. Sometimes they would unload stuff, but oftentimes they would sit there a few days, and then another train would come along, pick them up, and carry them on, on down the road. Sometimes they would sit there for weeks at a time and, and suddenly just disappear, but... But there were side tracks, and, and I, w- I got very familiar with the process. If they were going to drop some cars off, and actually we noticed it on either end of town as well. If if if, uh, if they were getting ready to do that, they would they would get out of the train and walk out with a set of keys and unlock the lock. And there was this. I, I'm not a railroad person. My dad worked for rail, but I don't remember what they what all this was called. But there was a big lever that they would pick up and slide over, and it literally. It literally moved the tracks or a little piece of the track so that when a train came, it would be, it would veer off the track it was on to the side rail or, or outside of town, it would veer from the right lane to the left or from the left to the right. There, there were many times when I was growing up that we would watch a train coming into town and we would think, well, they, they forgot to switch the tracks. And, and, and I, I'm really kind of sad to say this, but we would sit with anticipation. Like, this is going to be the time. Because we thought, surely it will happen someday. They'll forget, and the trains will collide. Now, they were always going slow. It wasn't going to be traumatic. But but we were always waiting for that sound of crunching metal that never happened. They, they were always on the right track. Paul, Paul here in, the, uh, in Philippians chapter 2 has really been pointing us down the, the right track. He's been leading us to a desti- destination that I promise we're going to get to next week. He's been leading us to the place where where we will ultimately define who number one is. We're, we've talked the last couple of weeks about looking out for number one uh, and trying to figure who that is and, and decide who that person is. We looked last week at, at the first part of chapter two. In fact, we looked at verse one where it says, if there's any encouragement from being united with Christ, we talked we, we talked about that motivation being exhortation that God tries to exhort us, and that's really with a push, that God pushes us a, a different direction. And he says if there's any comfort from his love, and we pointed out that that really means a promise, that that he promises to love talk. That word literally means that, to talk beside, that his love talks beside us. And then he talked about partnership, when he said uh, later on if there's any fellowship with the Spirit, and that partnership is really a, a connection that we have because of Christ. And then he finally finishes that with, if any tenderness and compassion, which which talks about passion that moves us. Paul, Paul in that first verse was asking a series of rhetorical questions, but in reality they weren't questions at all. They were statements of faith. They were statements of, of truth. 
statements that should motivate us to stay on the right track, which leads us and gives us the mindset that takes us to the ultimate goal that we'll see next week in probably the most important verse in this whole book. But today we're going to look at a couple more things that will carry us on down the track to figuring out who number one is. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Let me read for you verses 2, 3, and 4 as we prepare to see what what Paul has for us. Then then this is what Paul said. Verse 1 was all about motivation. Because Jesus is in your life, there should be motivation for you. Verse 2 then says, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vacancy, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of, of others. It's not very hard to, after you read those three verses, to start to get an idea of where Paul's heading here. To, to start to get an idea of what he might be defining who number one is. And we'll, we'll, like I said, we'll, we'll hammer that home a little bit more next week. But what we see here, first of all, is that Paul talked about a motivation. Now he talks about the plea. Basically, Paul told us in verse one, uh, this is who you are. You, you are believers, and because Christ is in your life, this is who you are. Now his language changes, it shifts, and it almost becomes, it almost becomes parent. Like, look, look at the, at the start of verse two, when it says, then make my joy complete. It's almost like Paul is speaking to the church as a parent, and rightly so, because Paul had birthed the church at Philippi. The church at Philippi was there because Paul had, had invested his time, his effort, uh, his heart, uh, literally his blood, Paul had invested himself in that church. So, so you can almost hear Paul say, can you do this for me? He, when he says, can you make my joy complete? Can, can you hear him kind of saying like a, a dad would say, can you do this for dear old dad? Or, or like a, a mom might say, can, can you just make your mom happy here? And, and so the, the, the language shifts here just a little bit and, and Paul is speaking to them. Uh, and, and pleading with them. It's like he's saying, if you know me, and you know what is truly important to me, if you if you understand who I am and what it is that motivates me, what it is that I'm all about, then you will you will listen to this plea. Let, let, let me illustrate this way. When I was a kid, and I probably am not all that different than most of you out there. You can you can uh you know, you can shake your head and tell me that you're different if you want, but I, I know you probably weren't. When I was a kid, if I had the choice, the option was between, like, say, Christmas time, receiving a present or receiving presents. Now, I don't mean plural. I mean presents as in be, being there. If I had the choice between receiving a gift and just getting to be with my family, when I was a kid, I can unequivocally tell you Give me the gifts. Chad, would, would you have done that? Probably. Okay. Yes, yeah. Give me the gifts. I, I'm around my family plenty. I, I, I see them all the time. Just give me the gifts. But but you know what? That's not the same anymore. Now my kids will, will call Rita. Uh, should be happening here pretty soon, probably right around Thanksgiving anyway. They'll call and say, hey, Mom, what, what do we get Dad for Christmas? And they'll call me like, Guys, have you not figured this out yet that I'm clueless? But they'll call me, hey, what should we get mom for Christmas? And and our response is, you know, I tell you, well, hey, a new set of golf clothes would be great. No, I don't, I don't remember that. But, 
But our response is really pretty similar. You, really what we say to them is, man, we, we don't care about a gift. We just want you guys home. Are you there? Now, you kids don't understand that, but someday you will. We just want you there. If all of you can make it home at the same time, that is our gift. Now, can I get an amen on this? About three days later of having 20 people in our house, we're ready to give our gift back. <laughs> Bring it back again next holiday or next summer for a couple of days. But, uh, so so Paul's, Paul pleads with them. He pleads with, with, with them, make my joy complete. And, and really this is the plea. The next part of that verse, he says, by being like-minded. By being like-minded or, or being one-minded, however you want to put that. Having the same thoughts, having the same attitude, having the same mind. Throughout the New Testament, we see this theme of one-mindedness over and over again. We see this plea for unity, this plea for togetherness, this plea for commonness. We see this over and over again. And in fact, Jesus prayed for it in John chapter 17. So literally the same night that he was betrayed, the same night that he was going to go to the cross, Jesus prayed a prayer for the church. And what did he pray for? He prayed for unity. John chapter 17, 20 and 21, Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. Now he's talking about, he'd been praying for the 12 specifically, and now he changes my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for all those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so the world may believe that you have sent me. Catch this. Right before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed for Troy Christian Church. And what did he pray for? That we would be one-minded that we would have a sense of unity. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Uh, there, the writer says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. And, and Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. In Romans chapter 14, verse 19, it says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. The Greek word here for one-mindedness, the Greek word for like-mindedness, has this idea of commonness or in common. Let me let me illustrate it. The, for, for instance, the master's triplets. I can't tell them apart. Can you? Okay, Decker, I can tell Decker from the girls. Okay, I've got Decker down. But but Frankie and Rayleigh, I can't. Can you guys tell them apart? Yeah, you do. Okay, you better have a little bit more. I can't tell them apart unless they're standing together. Little, little hit. Frankie's shorter. And does she have the short hair now? Okay. I knew that, but I couldn't remember which one had the short hair. They both walked by, and I'm like, is that Frankie or is that Ray Lee? But, uh, but I can't tell them apart. They, they, they're common. They're, 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 they're the same. Several years ago, I got a phone call. I, I remember when it was. It was a Monday night. I got a phone call from my son, Brian. I know it was Monday night because it was basketball season, and it was Big Monday. Uh, Brian calls, and he's in Norman, Oklahoma, and he says, Dad, I'm at the game. Now, I knew what that meant. That meant, because I knew who was playing that night, that big Monday, KU was playing the University of Oklahoma. Brian said, I'm at the game. Uh, look for me. And I'm thinking, okay, Brian, I will. And then I'm thinking, how am I going to pick him out in, in 15,000 fans? And I'm thinking that, and he says, you'll know, you'll know it's me because 
I'll be wearing the blue shirt. Well, duh. I mean, I knew that. But then he said this, and, and, and it sealed the deal. He said, tonight at the game, it's called a whiteout. As they walked in the stadium, every fan received a white shirt. Uh, a lot of teams do this when they play KU. They, they have one of these blackouts or purple outs in case K-State or, or whatever. They, they, so everyone in the stadium had a white shirt on, except, there might have been a couple others, but except Brian and his friend Kyle, they went to the game. And he said, Dad, we're sitting just off of, uh, of the goal, uh, of the one basketball goal off to the right side. Uh, we're sitting among all the whites. So we saw him, I don't know, five or six times watching the game. We, we could see, you, you know why? Because something in common. There, there was common. There, there was blue, two blue guys in this sea of, of white. Paul, Paul challenges us here. His, his plea, his plea is for commonness. Man, can you make my joy complete? Can you, can you finish it off? Can you do this for me? And can you guys have this in common? Now, I, I need three volunteers, three from this side of the church and three from this side. Just come on up if you want to volunteer. No, I, I need adults. Actually, I need adults. Because I've got to have, oh, we've got Mr. Adams has come up here. Appreciate Mr. Come on, two more over here. Come on, come on. Oh, thank you, Miss Johnny. You were on this side? Yeah. Okay, we're. Johnny, hi. <laughs> I need one more. Okay, Mr. Rick. Okay, I want you to hold that. Well, you might want. Maybe you're on the very end. Steve, I think you want to be on the very end. No, Dan's down there, right? Okay. Okay, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Dan, you ready? What are you guys doing? Wait, no, you need to tell us what to do. You're ready to play, but what are you going to play? You never sold the rope. Did I say anything about tug of war? I did. I, I kind of gave it away, didn't it? You really have two options holding this rope. One option is you can pull against each other. That's what I want you to think you were doing. Another option is you could pull. T- How do you unwind her? Tear her arm off. Yeah, I might have voted for this side. I don't know. Uh, another. Have you seen Dan? Have you seen Dan? No, Dan. There are twigs over there. There are twigs over there. So you have two options. You can pull against each other or you can pull together. Now, apparently what was happening, you can go sit down now. That's really all you do. You just get. We'll see how you pull together and see if you can do it. Apparently, in the church of Philippi, there was there was either something going on or there was the potential for something going on. I, I don't I don't know if there was a, an undercurrent that had had entered into the church. I don't know. If Paul had, had got reports that there were some people that were struggling with others. I, I don't know what it was, but apparently there was a little bit of this idea, and and so Paul spoke to them and said, "Hey." Make my joy complete. Will you follow this, please? Will you give me this, please? Will you be on the same page? Will you be in common? Now, now I want to point this out. I think it's, uh, number one, it's, it's so obvious that we have to realize it, is that even in the church, oftentimes, we're not on the same page in everything. 
In fact, the guy that's writing this that says, make my joy complete by being like-minded. Do you realize that Paul was part of the first church split? No, it really wasn't a church split, but Paul and Barnabas had gone on missionary journeys together, and they had a disagreement on whether to include John Mark on their next missionary journey, and they got so upset with one another that they split and went two different directions. So the very first split in Scripture was from the guy here that's telling us to be like-minded. So let me just throw this out there just so we understand this, that oftentimes we're not going to agree on everything. So when he calls for us to be like-minded, what's he talking about? Because sometimes we're going to disagree. Isn't that true in our families? I'll give you a couple examples. My wife, on Monday night, some of you will join her with this, my wife loves to watch Dancing with the Stars. Anyone else? Monday night, Dancing with the Stars. Jason, can you name your favorite? Yeah, okay. I watch Monday night football. Now, I don't know what night, what night's Gray's on? Thursday. Thursday nights, my, my wife loves to watch Gray's Anatomy. If there was a show on watching paint dry, I would choose that over watching Gray's Anatomy. I cannot stand that show. Um, Rita watches Hallmark movies over and over again, the same ones over and over again. I've watched Shawshank Redemption probably 30 times. And her, zero. Just little pieces here and theirs. And there. Dumb and Dumber, unfortunately, I can quote. So you're saying I got a chance. <laughs> Some of you know the movie as well. Christmas Vacation. We, we have unity, and yet we can disagree. I, I told that. Uh, I, I don't know if we got it announced yet that Lacey Jasper had surgery last night, had her appendix uh, taken out. So we certainly be in prayer for her. And uh, Rita and I ran by the hospital last night and visited with her. And, and uh, Lacey's funny. She talked about some weird stuff on drugs. So uh, <laughs> I'm, hoping, I'm hoping she remembers what she was talking about when we were there. But um, but I told her, hey, I'm going to mention you in a sermon. And, and, and Lacey and, and Derek are a perfect example. Lacey and all her children are K-State fans. And poor Derek is the only KU fan in the family. I pray for him. <laughs> but so so we can have unity and disunity at the same time. My my I'm unified with my wife and and and, and the Jaspers are unified most of the times except when the KU and KC play each other. Uh, so we can have things that we disagree on as long as we agree on the big stuff and and I think that's what Paul is talking about here. See, our plea is, our plea is to have commonness, to, to have sameness, to have unity, to have oneness. But it needs to be on the right stuff. Now, I'll be honest, we're really going to talk more about this next week. We're going to kind of answer what this is really all about next week. But let me, uh, uh, let me point this, uh, let me point this idea out because he points it out in two ways. He says we need to be like-minded. He says having the same love. And having the same purpose, having the same love, and having being one spirit and having the same purpose. And, and, and so as we read this, that, that we're called to be like-minded in the big stuff, right-minded in the important stuff, having the same love. And I, I read that, and that's really cool, and I like that, but what does it mean to be like-minded in love? Paul uses the word agape here, which fairly familiar, I guess, in the church, it's Agape is a selfless love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love of precision. It's a love that 
that God showed us in giving his son. Even though we didn't do anything to deserve it, he gave that's what that's love. It's not a warm and fuzzy love. It's not what do I get out of this kind of love. It's a love that thrives on service. It's a what what do I get to give kind of love. But what does what does it mean? His plea for us is to be one-minded, but how does that apply to love? If you have your Bibles, just flip over one book to Colossians. In Colossians chapter 3, maybe he wraps, wraps this up just a little bit of this thought. Colossians chapter 3, we're just going to look at a couple verses, 12 to, 13, 12 to 14. He says, therefore, verse 12, it's God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. You see what he's telling us to be like, what he's telling us to put on, telling us to, to live like, bear with each other. And forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Maybe what he's talking about there is how we need to live. And he talks about the same purpose, Paul. And and Paul's already defined what our purpose is. Way back in chapter 1, Paul gave us an idea of what our purpose is when he said in... uh, in verse 21, for me to live is Christ. For, for me to live is to serve Jesus. Our, our unity then needs to be on our journey. Our unity then needs to be on our journey to the Lord. And, and, and the truth is, church, we can, we can disagree about the color of the carpet and we can disagree a, you know, about what time of service starts, and we can disagree about how we do certain things, and we can disagree about all sorts of things, but as long as we agree about the big stuff, as long as we agree, as long as we're, we're common and in the same place about living for Jesus. When I was at Rushville, uh, in, in our church, in our sanctuary, up on the stage, we had, uh, we had, on on either side of the stage, a pulpit. It looks actually very similar to this, but a pulpit here and a pulpit there. And in between those, and they were connected, in between those was a modesty panel that ran all the way. And really nice woodwork. It was beautiful. It looked nice in the church. And But a pulpit on either side. But I, as you can imagine, I, I really hated standing behind one pulpit. And, you know, which one did I choose? And, and there was actually a little stage behind you. And, and I had a hard time... And, and we've been there several years where I finally said, is there any way we can take those pulpits out? Uh, the, the front of the church just didn't look right. Can we can we round out the front of the church and put stairs kind of like we have here and all the way around? And, and and everyone was like, let's do it. And then someone raised their hand. Yeah, but we might want to think about this. See, Dora's husband built those. Now, now, Dora's husband wasn't just anybody. Dora's husband had been the minister at, at Rushville for 20-plus years, uh, had gone on to be with the Lord. And Dora was still a, a very active member of the church, and her husband had built those pulpits and that modesty panel. And someone, rightly so and wisely so, said, yeah, maybe we ought to check with Dora. And I'll never forget my conversation. I said, Dora, we're, we're thinking about taking those out. It'll, it'll facilitate our service a little better. As our music was changed, we're getting a little bit of a, a worship team that'll make that easier. Just going to work so much better on a lot of ways. And, and I'll never forget her response. She looked me in the eye and she says, there's no way you're going to take those out. No, she didn't say that. <laughs> she, she could have said, okay, do it. 
that I won't be happy. In which case, I would say, okay, we're going to do it. <laughs> you can just be mad. No, I, I don't know. That. I probably wouldn't have done that either. But you know what she said? I'll never forget it. She said, hey, if that'll make the church better, take it out. She just would. She just would. And what? See, see, see that's, that's sameness. Now, now, down deep, I, I bet down deep there's part of her that, that hurt that that was moved. That was, that was a connection to her husband. And she probably liked that. that but basically said, hey, do what the church needs to do. I, I, I am so old, guys. I remember a time when men, all the men wore suits and ties to, to church. I, I remember when every lady had on a dress or, or at least a skirt. No one, no, no lady would, would dream of coming to church in a pair of slacks. No guys would show up without at least a dress shirt on. And, but times have changed. Somewhere someone got this idea that, you know what? Not everyone can afford a suit and a tie. And we need to make people feel comfortable, or maybe guys just really don't like to wear ties. Maybe that's why. But but we change it. And maybe a, a a young mom with two or three kids would be a whole lot more comfortable in slaps than she would in a dress at church. Why don't, why don't we allow people to do that and not feel guilty about that? Now, I don't know where you are. Maybe you think every guy should wear a suit. Maybe you think every lady should wear a dress. There's certainly nothing wrong with getting dressed up to be in church. But but boy, we, we changed our thinking. I I, I went through the whole change in music. Maybe some of them are still struggling with that. Uh, I, I remember talking to a lady at, at Central Christian Church where Reed and I attended a few years when we were in between ministry. And a little, little lady named Claire, and I remember having this conversation with her once and talking to her about the, the, the music. And, and, and I said, well, Claire, what do you think? And she said, oh, I hate that. I hate that new music. I hate the drums and the guitars and the bands. I, I, just, I just hate that. I, I just like the old hymns. But... She said, I love sitting in church and watching families sing and watching kids sing and seeing the smiles on their face. She said, oh, I, I so love that. So I don't care what kind of music we play as long as the Lord is being moved. So, so church, Paul calls us to, uh, pleads with us to have, to have calmness, to have sameness. And, and it really is about what our ultimate goal is going to be. I'm, I'm going to buzz through this next section, and, and we're actually going to come back to chapter, to verse 4 a little bit, uh, verses 3 and 4 next week. But he says there, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vacancy. And really what he's calling us there is to check our motive. Why why are we doing what we're doing? What is motivating us uh, to do what we do? And then he then he goes on in the next section, uh, in uh, verse, end of verse 3 and verse 4, but in humility consider others better than yourself, each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. He's telling us to check our motive, and then he says to check our mindset. And if you want to go ahead, if you're filling out your notes, would, would you for B and C write the same thing? Check your mindset, because because he's nailing us with that. We need to check how we see, how we think about other people. Next week, next week we're going to look at the key verse in this whole book, and it will... We'll kind of tie this all together, kind of put us all in one place on on defining for us who number one is. Ken Davis is a uh, Christian comedian and speaker. You may have seen some of his work, maybe you've seen some of his DVDs. He's he's hilarious, guys. I've got a guy. I've got a couple of his books. But Davis, when he first was starting out, tells the story of a time he was 
he was in southern Florida to do a, a, a gig. And said, so this was different than most of his stuff because he, he was pretty used to just doing, uh, uh, doing love offering type, uh, Doing love offering type type of situations, love offering type of uh, of gigs, and, but this was a big one. He he has paid fifteen hundred dollars, and not only that, it included two round trip tickets to, to Southern Florida and three nights in a beach hotel. And, and 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 he said, I was just a little bit nervous about this one. I mean, this was a big deal. He said, I want to be especially good. I want to be especially fu- uh, funny. And as the night wore on, and, and it, it got closer and closer for his. Time to get up on stage. He said, I, I got a little, little more nervous and, and said it got worse as I got up to, to be introduced. The guy that had booked me wasn't there and, and a guy who didn't know me introduced me and he basically introduced me like this. And I don't know who this guy is, but I want everyone to sit down and shut up and listen to him. And then he said the guy continued talking to the person that was beside him in a very loud voice. And so, so Davis says I get up on stage and, and said I wasn't I, I wasn't two lines into to what I had to say, and uh, and I looked, and my worst nightmare had, was coming true. From from the back back of the room came my my three year old daughter Tracy, and she was waddling down the aisle and said, "I," David said, I, "I I gave her that look, that parent look, like you better stop and go back to your mom look," but she just kept on going. And then he he said, "I kind of said something. I said, Tracy, go back to your mom." And, and, and then everyone noticed, and everyone turned around to see, and, and, and they, they, they began to holler. See, Davis had also pointed out this was right after happy hour. And said so a lot of the people there were pretty happy after happy hour. So they, they began to yell, let her go up there. We want to see the girl. And, and so he let her come up on stage, and he tried to, he whispered in her ear, now, Tracy, you need to go back to your mom. And, uh, and he, he kind of took the mic and put it in front of her and said, tell these nice people hello. And she, she grabbed the mic out of his hand, put it in both hands, and she said, I want to see. And, uh, of course, the crowd, you know, he's like, oh, no, you can't. The crowd's like, let her sing, let her sing. <laughs> so he knew he was he was up against it. Nothing was going to happen if he didn't let her sing. So he said, okay, Tracy, sing. And, and, and so three-year-old Tracy sang the only song that she knew. She began to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And as she continued to sing, okay. Okay. Play, play that. No, she began to sing, Jesus loves me. And, and as she finished out the, the end of the song, for the Bible tells me so. She was happy. He was able to get her go back down. And David said, I, I noticed a change in the room. Where everyone had been talking and making noise, now they've kind of calmed down and quieted. So I looked out there and I could see tears coming down a few people's eyes. And, and, and when the speech was over, he said, I stood around for probably an hour, hour and a half talking to people. And there were several people that came up to me and said, I, I know that song. That was the first song that I sang. Those were the first words that I sang. Jesus loves me. This I know. Paul is calling us in Philippians 2 to be on the right track, to head in the right direction, to figure out who's who's number one, who who gets the, the lordship of our life. And it really comes down to just that simple song, the words of that song, the song, Jesus loves me. This I know. Jesus loves me. Father, thank you 
for the simpleness of the gospel that you love us and that you call us to live for you. Father, we often make the Christian life so complicated and so difficult and so hard. We struggle to understand what you want of us when really you just call us to figure out who number one is and hand over the lordship of our life to you. Father, we pray this morning that as we're headed in the right direction for you, that we will learn to love and serve and give our lives.